Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. going on everybody welcome to another episode of the nomad strength show uh today we've got a cool show for you guys i'm really pumped about this one uh i'm joined by ryan lampers also known as stealthy hunter um he is hunter father outdoorsman gardener uh entrepreneur you know he's got a really cool story that i was really really just glad to get to talk to him because I followed him, like I said, for years. And it was a really fun conversation because there were just some things that I've been wanting to know since I started following him several years back that I was able to to talk about and gardening being a, a big part of uh, what we're doing here now at, at our house. And so I had some questions for him around that and what they do. Um, if you follow either him or his wife, Hillary, uh, they have an amazing, like, you know, homestead type setup went at, at their place in Montana. So it was a really cool conversation. We talked gardening, we talked hunting, we talked uh, all kinds of stuff. They have uh, the Western Hunting Summit that they started putting on several years back. And uh, that's an awesome event that they host every summer. And it was actually really cool, uh, a deal that he put together for you guys who listen to this show specifically. If anybody is interested in going to the Western Hunting Summit, which I would encourage you to listen to this whole episode and then tell Tell me you're not interested after hearing it because it sounds amazing. Um, if you go and check out on the website, use the code NOMAD, you're going to save a hundred bucks on the admission to the Western Hunting Summit that happens in June. There's a couple different weekends that they do it. Uh, but if you guys use the code NOMAD, when you go buy your ticket, you'll save a hundred bucks, which was a pretty amazing deal uh, that he put forward for you guys who listen to the show. So very thankful for that. There's a ton of great info in this one regarding hunting and outdoors and everything uh, about that life. And I was just really, really looking forward to being able to talk to Ryan. Like I said, been looking up to him for a long time. And uh, this was just a really fun conversation. Great guy. So go follow him uh, on all of the links. I'll post those in the show notes. Uh, and without further ado, this is my conversation with Ryan Lampers. 
All right, we are recording now. Ryan, thank you for joining me today, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, reaching out and having me on here, Ross. Yeah, it's uh, I've I've been following you, and uh, I'm trying to remember how long ago it was when I came across your guys' page, and it actually was the gardening stuff I think that pulled me to the page first. Uh, oh, yeah. Like I was doing some, uh, it was when we I think we moved into this place that we're in now, and I was getting ready to get all that stuff set up in our new on our new property in our yard and figuring out how I was going to do it. And I think I did like an Instagram search or Google thing. And like your guys' gardening stuff was what came up first. And then I'm like, <laughs> go down the rabbit hole. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of hunting stuff here too. I'm like, I'm, I'm in on this now. So uh, lots yeah, of helpful we, info on all of those, on all those fronts. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think, you know, folks see the hunting stuff and that's kind of what they're drawn to. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and as is absolutely one of our big passions is is hunting or at least it's mine mm-hmm. um but the gardening the gardening is right there mm-hmm. i mean it doesn't bring the adventure it doesn't bring all that stuff that we love about hunting but it's kind of the the other side of the plate there that that we're concerned about so yeah. try to uh you know when it comes to this whole diy being as self-sufficient as you can um you know we live out in the little three forks montana here yeah it's kind of cool to be able to supplement the meat and, you know, the, the, everything in the freezer with all that other stuff and, and not have to hit the Costco so right. much. So, no, gardening is – it hasn't always been, but it's it's a big part of what we do and love to do in mm-hmm. the summers. Uh, definitely uh, have some new challenges here with us living in Montana versus we were like in the Garden of Eden back in Washington State. Oh, okay. Uh, I, there's things I love about Washington. The ability to garden and grow food was one of them. Obviously, yeah. the, the crowds and all the other politics and things that go with it now, are, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> right. <laughs> Montana seems like the place everybody... Montana, Idaho, man. I'm over in Boise-ish area. And that's, I mean, yeah. everybody's coming from everywhere to those two spots, it seems. And I get it. Oh, I mean, it, there's a reason yeah. for it too, you know. Um, yeah, you can't blame people for wanting to come to these two great mountain states, right? Seriously. I mean, <laughs> it sucks and we like to complain about it. But at the same time, I've seen, I've had so many of my good buddies from Washington State move here. I mean, yeah. I get within the 15, 20 miles of here, it feels like a hub now of, of old buddies <laughs> from Washington. And nice. I can't blame them. We wanted to get out of there as well. And yeah, uh, yeah it's getting a little crowded and uh, pricing has gone up on all properties and housing. Yeah. Uh, and yet we looked at it just before the big mad dash over here, pre-COVID and all that stuff. So yeah. we got better pricing, but a lot of folks are now waking up to it and Gosh dang, it's just such a great playground, um, more of a laid back, great environment for raising a family Yeah, versus um, some other areas. Yeah, so. it's great. I was in uh, Helena for four years. I went to school there. And so I, I kind of consider Montana second home for me. So yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't get back as nearly as much as I would like to, but it always kind of yeah. has that second home kind of feeling. Um, oh, yeah. I'm curious, Absolutely. when did the, when, when you guys started this, you know, whether it was a conscious decision right off the bat, as far as like the self-sustaining thing, you know, I'm sure you've hunted most of your life and and maybe done even the gardening that long too. But like when you guys, you know, had a family, how did that, how, like, how did it start versus mm. where it is now, you know, with basically being able to feed an entire family and do all this kind of thing where it is now, I'm sure there was all kinds of different iterations to the whole process. 
Great question, man. Uh, where it started was I hated gardening back in the day. <laughs> uh, absolutely despised it. Um, you know, I was just young punk, didn't really see it see things clearly when I was like high school and before that my dad was an absolute nut gardener you know he's he's huge in the gardening uh fruit trees nut trees all things growing okay big time into grafting and just making all these creations with different tomatoes and things like that and I just thought it was nonsense uh I was more concerned about wasting five minutes picking weeds and pulling rocks um (laughs) that was taken away from my steelheading time on the river. And I didn't, I couldn't make sense of why the heck would you want to be weeding gardens? Um, when you could be out catching steelhead on a river and hiking, <laughs> hiking the Skycomish river back in the day. So it took me a while. Um, it wasn't really, I mean, we got into gardening once we were married. I've been married 24 years now. And, um, and my wife also came from a family that did some gardening, uh, as she was getting raised very healthy, health conscious. And, you know, it wasn't until well into our marriage that we really dove into it. And then, um, you know, well before, you know, we had kids, we had kids fairly late right now. I'm parked at 48 years old and I've got a 13 year old and I've got a six year old, almost seven. So we started fairly late, but that like, that really, really kind of tipped the scales where we went hog wild and we went all in on the gardening stuff, you know, just, um, when, when the kids were getting born and it was my first daughter, but before that, you know, we were in it, we always had a garden. We just didn't go, um, crazy building greenhouses and, and making it, you know, a lot of our yard, turning it into, um, something we could actually harvest. Uh, I think a lot of it stemmed from me hating to mow lawns too, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Do as little lawn as possible. <laughs> I absolutely hate mowing lawn. I think it's pointless. <laughs> I'd rather go to seed or weed or whatever. Right. Um, and I'd rather have get something out of it than just you know, spending two hours. <laughs> just making it shorter. Around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you could actually grow food and, and take advantage of your space. Yeah. So, I get um, that. Maybe that has something to do with it. But yeah. Um, yeah. We, we really got into it. Uh, started figuring out what it was going to take to, mm-hmm. you know, be able to grow enough for Hill and I. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't that much being the two. It was the two of us. Um, and then I think there's a progression into the, how, how are you going to preserve this food? Cause right. you know, it's a big, it's a big old bummer when you grow all this amazing stuff and then come hunting season, you're out and about and, and you're cruising mountains. And by the time hunting season's over, everything's frozen and your garden is, is all dead and, and you haven't preserved all that stuff for yeah. winter time. So then I think the progression is canning, um, and getting really creative with dehydrating, making powders out of greens. And, and we got really deep diving into all that stuff. And it's, it, it's easy to do. It's like an addiction you, you get in. It's right. a healthy addiction, I guess. And, That's cool. Um, I always loved food. I've always been a, I don't know what it is or why or where it came from, but I absolutely hate waste, waste of food. Yeah. Um, and I still, you know, harp on my kids and my wife when I see her get wasted. It's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's probably not something I should be proud of, but it, it bothers me for some right. reason. So naturally, you know, trying to preserve everything that you grew, mm-hmm. um, you know, making soups that you can, you can hold on to throughout the winter, uh, by canning and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's just a ton of fun. And I, I, uh, have tried to get as many people around me into it as well. 
And in the end, you've got delicious food always at the ready in the pantry. Um, and you know, you don't feel like going to the store. You don't really have to. And you don't need to. Yeah. It kind of seems, it kind of seems like it's, uh, I mean, because as far as scale, ours was, we had like two raised beds, uh, in the back. And then I had like a strip on the ground that I did some of like the bigger, like squash and that kind of stuff where they had more room to, to do stuff. It yeah. was just, you know, five foot by basically 20 foot long strip that kind of just gave them a little bit more room, but it was super minimal in regards to, you know, a lot of other, other things. And it was mainly because I'm still just trying to figure stuff out and see what mm -hmm. we like and what we're actually going to, you know, utilize. Cause that's like the other thing too. It's like, well, I want to grow everything under the sun, but you know, we don't eat a third of it. So it's like, what's the point of yeah. even growing this? <laughs> you know, it looks yeah. nice when it's growing, but it's almost turns into like that wasteful thing. But you you know, you got to learn those lessons, figuring that kind of stuff out oh, and yeah. go through those yeah. growing pains too. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I always think about like when I started off hunting, um, there's always this progression. There's always this, this change over time. You used to throw way too much stuff in your backpack and it was way too heavy and you just toughed it out. Yeah. It wasn't comfortable. Um, and then you go to this far extreme to the other way and you like take way too less of gear. Like you, your, your pack <laughs> is ridiculously light. You're not comfortable. Yep. Um, you don't have a good sleep system and, and you go way too far with it. So then you get smart somewhere after that happens, you meet in the middle mm -hmm. and you figure things out. You know, there's, there's a happy medium there with weight. Well, it's the same thing with gardening. Mm -hmm. I too used to want to grow everything under the sun. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if I didn't like to eat it, I wanted to grow it. Yeah. And then it would rot and, you know, obviously <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's going right. back into the soil, but, um, and I would grow way too much. Like I would, I would do, you know, three or four, four by eight beds of just kale or, you know, mm. way too many beans. And yeah. And yeah, you, you, it takes a while to kind of come to the middle and realize what your family enjoys. Yeah. Uh, space is precious. So you want to grow the things that you're going to actually eat, uh, and, uh, and make the best use of your space for sure. So, so I noticed that there's, and, and just in like all the, the research and all the different methods there are, right. Uh, I think you guys do a lot of the raised bed stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, was there a reason yeah. for that? It was just ease of maintenance or like what was kind of your guys's progress there? Yeah. I mean, I think with raised beds, um, th it makes things easier. Uh, yeah. in my opinion, it makes things a little bit easier to weed. You know, we always have, there's always issues no matter where you're gardening. Um, for where we're at right now here in Montana, we moved to this, uh, really nice five acre piece. And, um, it's going to be a progression over time as to us getting this place, you know, dialed with, with the homesteading type stuff. Sure. But we came to a place that had absolute garbage soil. Mm. Um, Three Forks, Montana, it's, it's not great. So, you know, I kind of knew this is going to be a thing where it's going to be a little bit of a time issue. I, I got, I'm going to have to grow some dirt. Like I'm going to have to build right. some dirt. It's going to take some time. Raised beds is really the only way, you know, to, to actually maximize that. Yeah. So adding the, the nutrients and, and the, um, organic matter to raised beds is much easier than just spreading it across an entire, um, plot of land. And so there's that, uh, now I think even in Washington, we, we had the raised beds. Big part of that was again, weeds and also slugs. Like we were in constant war mm, with just cause it's so wet critters and, and there's an, yeah, it, it's much easier to, 
kind of uh, limit the slug infestation if you have raised beds and you can, you know, copper line the outsides or um, kind of keep them at a minimum, put some stuff down around the beds. And so it just makes sense there, but uh, much more manageable with raised beds, I feel like. And then there's certain crops that, you know, we'll just, we'll just mound it. And then similar to a raised bed, like a lot of the squash and, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, even potatoes and things like that, we'll push straight into the dirt, you know, in in little plots and pieces of land there. So some things make sense and some things it just seems like it's, it's better with a raised bed. And it seems like it's gotten into, I mean, a fairly... At this point, I mean, you said you've you've only been in this place a couple of years and you're still building it out a bit. But I mean, where you guys are now, it seems like you've got a pretty good system dialed mm-hmm. as far as what you guys need and understand, you know, amounts of stuff. And again, that probably yeah. just is trial and error of what is actually going to yeah. sustain, you know, like for lack of a better word, that is the word. But uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I keep saying that that space is precious. You know, I don't know how many raised beds I have out there. I probably have. I'm guessing close to 12 to 15. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Crazy. Something like that out yeah. there. And then, you know, you, you can utilize some stacked up tires and things for peppers and tomatoes if you're, if you're into that or building those out. But yeah, yeah um, definitely have cut down on things that we don't use for one thing. I used to grow a ridiculous amount of potatoes. Yeah. And then, you know, we actually, we, we ate a lot of potatoes in the house. Um, and yet then uh, a few years back, we found that, uh, both our, both our uh, girls have, um, it's not an allergy, but it's kind of an aversion to potatoes. And so oh, it's like a food allergy type thing. And so they don't do well with potatoes and they, they had like tonsil flare ups and things like that and just issues. So yeah, we had to cut the potatoes out. And, uh, so I just quit plant potatoes as much as I love them. Mm-hmm. All three of my girls don't do great with them. So, um, cut those out. And, uh, you know, the girls are all about like snap peas and carrots and things they can run out and just eat, you know, right away. Cold yeah. is one of their favorites. So we, we go hog wild on that stuff. Yeah. Um, but again, like, Beans is one of those things where, um, whether it's, you know, string beans, whatever, we're, we used to grow way too many. Now I just throw a few, a few vines out and, and let them run. And right. that's, that's more than enough for our family of four. No, that makes sense. Uh, the preserving and the, like everything after harvest stuff is really interesting to me because there's just so many different ways to do. I mean, like you mentioned doing drying and, and doing like greens powders, which I had never even thought of. I mean, you think of like all the different just supplements that are just greens powders, like how easy that would be if you've got the supply to make stuff on your own like that. I mean, like what other, what what are some of like the go-tos that you guys do? Is it something like, is it stuff like that? Yeah. So powders are easy and, and I don't know how many hours I've burned in a dehydrator. It's probably insane amount of hours just running (laughs) the dehydrator. Um, whether that was berries making berry powder for, you know, shakes and top yogurt, stuff like that. Really easy to do. There's certain berries that work. We used to have a, a huge patch of raspberries. Mm. And so we would, um, you know, we would make, a, I've got a nine tray dehydrator, lay them all out, um, dehydrate them up, put them in the grinder um, and, uh, and grind them into a fine powder, jar it up, um, throw a little um, oxygen absorber on the top of a mason jar, man, that stuff lasts forever. 
and it's just good. It's, it's good. Like if, if they're eating something, you want to sprinkle a little bit of berry powder on there. Well, the same goes for greens, green powder. Last I checked was pretty dang expensive. Um, and, uh, it's about the easiest thing in the world to make yourself. Now, obviously there's a whole discussion to be had about freeze drying to dehydrating, Mm. you know, um, now I'm very fortunate to have a freeze dryer, uh, to go along with the, the dehydrator. Yeah. Um, but both have their pros and cons. I, for years used the dehydrator, just basically throwing down any leaves, like whether it's beet leaves or, or kale leaves or anything green, um, uh, collars a lot and we would just dehydrate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't take long on a dehydrator. You're looking at a couple hours, two, two and a half hours or so on a dehydrator. And you got this crunchy leaf, you grind it up, drop it in a blender or Nutribullet, something like that, powder it up, mason jar it. And there again, you have this amazing green powder that you can add to drinks or protein yeah. shakes or whatever you're doing. And then it's preserved throughout the winter. So you can get all the greens you want and not have to buy salads and all that stuff to, to get that. Now, there is, like I said, there's an argument with dehydration. You lose a little bit of nutrition. Um, with dehydration uh, versus, free, versus yes. freeze-drying? Okay. Freeze-drying is great. It's not for everyone. Those machines are dang expensive. Yeah. Um, they take, they're very time-consuming. Uh, uh, but you hold all the nutrient value and it gotcha. preserves it for 25 years versus the recommended one year to two years on a dehydrator. So gotcha. there's a big investment there. You know, Harvest Ride is a company that has the kind of the home freeze dryers now. Mm-hmm. Um, we invested in one of those and it, it makes sense for our family because of the garden, because of all the meals we make for hunting. You know, when you're spending over 100 days on the mountain eating dehydrated meals, it makes sense to not have to buy all these expensive meals. You don't sure. know what's in them. So it's cool because, Ross, I, I can take like some spring bear meat from last year. I can build this great stew with some of the greens and, and then just freeze dry it, package mm-hmm. it, um, you know, pull the air out of it if you want to, toss it in a bin. And, and I have that for the following season and all my hunts. And so we've got this whole array of recipes that we make for our hunts now, and I don't have to buy stuff from the store. It's great, and you can utilize both the meat side, you can utilize the vegetable side from the garden, yeah. or if you you know you find a deal at wherever you shop, um, you grab a bunch of that and you 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 know build these meals with it. And um, man, it's there's something satisfying, similar to hunting when you go out and you look in your freezer and you're like, man, that feels good. I, yeah. It's uh, kind of like a, a big old thing of stacked wood, right? Something right, satisfying seriously. about yeah. building all these meals and having bins of meals at the ready. So when you hunt season hits you and you got other stuff going on, you don't have yeah. to go hit the whatever store. You that's, have them there and they're good to go. That's a really, I've never even thought of really that way of doing the preserving stuff because the only, I guess the only thing that I, that just comes to mind immediately is like canning or jarring stuff. Right. And so you're like, well, how many different ways can you just do stuff like that? But then doing those dried out and bagged and it's basically like those astronaut meals, essentially, you know, like, like creating your own of those. And you mentioned like, having those machines, you know, might be in like an upfront cost. Cause I imagine that's probably a big like holdup for a lot of people like, Oh, yeah. I got to get all this stuff. But when you think about 
all what you're saving on the back end of that. You know, like if you're doing That's meals true. for hunts or whatever, like you're not having to go and spend, you know, whatever, four or five dollars per or more per like. And if you want the healthy ones, meal. you're upwards of like 10 to 12 dollars sometimes if you right. want something with good, clean ingredients in it. So Exactly. It's, so it's, it's, it's totally a trade off. But it's I mean, it's like it's I have the same conversations a lot with the people who, uh, you know, like they buy uh, they'll go in with somebody on like a half a cow or something like that. And, you know, it yeah. costs maybe seven, 800 or more dollars up front, but then you like, mm-hmm. or more, but then you don't have to buy meat for a year. And yeah. so you're like, how, I mean, look at it long term. I mean, it's worth maybe putting a little bit aside to be able to do something like that and get That's better cool. and get better quality. And then instead of just be like, oh, we're out of stuff. I need to go to the store again. And then it yeah. just becomes a, like a never ending well, cycle of stuff. Yeah. And there's a, there's a good reason to be had or an argument you can make for, you know, on the mountain as well, because, you know, a lot of us, you know, we're health minded. We want to eat clean, um, you know, as well as we can at home all year. And then September um, comes up and, you know, I've noticed a lot of people get a little lazy. Uh, I used to be mm-hmm. for sure. Get a little lazy. Just go grab the convenience store stuff before the trip. Hit, yep. the, hit the gas station, grab some bars, um, hit REI and grab whatever they got. And it's a small fortune, yeah, but you also are eating crap and yeah. you're not you're not eating the same as you eat the rest of the year. So we're just taking meals that we eat this time of year. If there's an excess, if there's too much of it and we try to make too much of it, mm-hmm. we toss it in the freeze dryer or the dehydrator. Um, it's the same stuff we're eating the rest of the year that we're eating on the mountain. So there's no bloating. There's no gut issues. If you're to eat it in the off season, you're probably pretty good to eat it during hunting season. So, um, that's a big factor. And, you know, I think a lot of people will notice they go from, um, their lifestyle back home, they hit the mountains and they, they get gassy and bloated and gut issues is a huge issue. Like it's just, it's prevalent, right? I think most people know about it. We've all experienced it Yeah. if you're spending time up there. But um, a lot of that goes away when you're building your own meals with foods that sit well with you and you're not introducing all this new stuff. And uh, a lot of the meals out there are, I don't know what's in them. Um, some of them are clean. It, it, nice. The last couple of years, some, there's been some companies that have really stepped up and built some mm-hmm. great clean type meals versus... Sure. Um, probably the ones that people have always, the traditional, right. you know, in the house type. Yep. Um, but we just don't know what's in there. So it's such a funny way to think about it too, because if you think about like, if you were training for any other like sport and you're eating a certain way through all your training and like doing all this thing and then game day comes and you're doing something totally different that you've never done before. Like, of course you're yeah. going to perform like garbage. You have a, you're doing something 100%. totally different, you know? So yeah, it's, it's like, like the Olympics, like you yeah. train there all year and then the Olympics and you're going to eat garbage during the entire time that you're performing. <laughs> right. Well, hunting season is our Olympics and I want to be peak optimal, um, is, is feeling as good as I can because we look forward to this short time frame every year you know, maybe not a short time frame, it's several months, but right. we want to, we want to be maxed out as far as what we can do up there. And, you know, a lot of these trips now we, we try to build 10 day trips, you know, we're not doing sure. three days. Um, again, that's not for everybody, but when you are building 10 to 12 day trips consistently, and that's about what all my trips are these days. Um, you know, if you're not eating right, like you start to bonk on these things and yeah, 
I can, I can with a hundred percent honesty say at 48 years old now, the changes I've made in diet, um, what I eat on the mountain, um, you know, being physical throughout the year, things like that. I feel way better now than I felt in my twenties. Like I don't have the, the joint pain and this, the stiffness and the mm-hmm. aches and 10 day trips. I mean, it, on day 10, it's, it's as fresh as day one. Um, That's awesome. it's completely different, uh, now versus back when I didn't know anything yeah. and I was kind of going through the motions, but, um, no, I think there's a huge, uh, I think everybody could up their game if they're looking at tackling these big mountains many days in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to hit day nine or 10 and just look at a big old basin with a giant muley in the bottom and be like, I just don't have it in the tank. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Dang, it's just, that's, that would be heartbreaking. So you never want to say no to those opportunities. You always, um, you kind of have to take advantage of everyone you have. So, so um, as far as what you're doing, you know, quote unquote off season from a, from a, like a fitness and training perspective, what kind of stuff do you usually do? Is it just ton of, yeah. you mentioned you're going to do a uh, go hike today. Is it tons of hikes? Is it, what kind of training are you doing? Yeah. So a lot of hiking, hiking is that probably the heaviest that I, the heaviest thing that I do, the most consistent thing. That is that year round? I mean, is that just something yeah. you always have as a part of yep. what you're doing? Yep, it is. Uh, I think there's no substitute for weighted hikes. If you're yep. trying to be your best on a hunting trip in the backcountry. Sure. You know, obviously all the other things, um, you know, lifting heavy weights that, you know, building everything around your connective tissue and all that, strengthening all that. Mm-hmm. It's important. Um, but utilizing the muscles it takes to throw 40, 50 pounds on your back, just go do a hike um, at a certain pace, like a fast pace, getting that cardio uh, getting the strength, um, from carrying heavy loads. I just don't think there's any substitute. So I try to do that the most. That is by far and away my, my, um, um, I think I, I attribute that to my best off season program is just weighted hikes for speed. Um, we have, uh, some Hills right here and, um, I've got, you know, times that it takes that it gets me, I can get to the top, uh, you know, whether it's a half mile or three miles, um, And that gives you a goal to never try to, you always want to beat your time or at least be right there in that window. So you can't really slack. Um, and then, you know, as far as the other off season stuff, like our basement, we got, we got a bunch of workout gear down there. Um, we invested in a rower this year. It's probably my favorite piece of equipment. Love the rower. Always have, um, you know, we got the box downstairs, so uh, a couple of brute force bags for step ups, things like that. Yeah, um, yeah, just a variety of things, and I think all of it helps. Uh, don't do a whole lot of mountain biking anymore. Used to do a lot of that, but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a, a diverse program. How um, often are you doing also, like weight training stuff during the week? I'm probably going three days a week three, right now. Yeah, just hitting the the heavier stuff. Sure. And one of the things that uh, I would recommend anybody checking into mountain tough fitness we got right in town here in bozeman um, oh right those guys, i didn't know that's where they were they they build a heck of a program um and right now they're doing a backpack challenge or backpack workout um it's built for hunters and it's just like we were talking about yeah. things that are going to make you um better and stronger on the mountains so i really like those guys down there uh they their programs are solid so we do their 
little 20 to 30 minute programs, me and my wife on occasion, they get real creative. Mm. Um, you know, and you don't need a lot of gear. You don't need a gym to do a lot of the workouts they do. So, um, they do, um, fantastic little short workouts for guys. That's awesome. The, uh, the hiking part is always something that I've heard. It's like, there, there, like you said, there's no real substitute for it. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because I just remembered I was supposed to ask you about this because I had uh, Dan Staten on a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And he does all kinds of crazy training stuff. You know, I mean, he's big yeah. in the CrossFit world and he, I mean, sure. he trains hard all the time. But he told me uh, to ask you to tell the story about how you two met because he said it was a hilarious story. So uh, <laughs> I'm supposed, I'm supposed really? to ask he you to tell, me that. to tell that story. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Apparently he told me to say, right. ask Ryan how we met because he thought it was a funny story. I'll tell it because it, it throws him <laughs> under the bus a little bit. So I'm okay. Well, if, he's got, um, if he gave permission, then I'm sure you're good. <laughs> yeah. No, Dan is a stud. Uh, that guy has more go-go than most people, and that's mm-hmm. why he's so successful at elk hunting. Yeah. Um, and he's a... Uh, he is just a bundle of energy, man. Uh, so yeah, I met Dan on the mountain. He used to be a part of these train to hunt events that, um, I ended up doing those for years and I've heard there's, there's going to be a comeback on the train to hunt events this year. So we'll see, we'll see if that happens. Uh, fun challenge, like a Spartan race for, for bow hunters. Nice. Um, so I met Dan in the mountains. Um, it's been over 10 years ago now in okay. the mountain, North Idaho type steep stuff, um, where you don't really need binos. It's thick and yet it's steep. And there used to be a lot of elk in these places. Um, but yeah, I got to talking to him and Kenton, uh, his partner, he was doing the train to hunts. And, uh, and it was funny because there was a morning where I got on the mountain first um, I don't know, Dan must've slept in or something. Huh? <laughs> and I was down in this hole and I had a couple of good bowls going and, and, um, man, I was, I was about this close to having that bull come in. I'd worked him for a while, had mm-hmm. him, um, uh, had him moving in. And, and then I could hear this, so cow calling that, that wasn't coming from cows coming down the mountain. I could tell there was people, um, I can't remember what he called it, like the flying wedge or something like that. It was like three of them and they were coming down the mountain doing their cow call. And, uh, yeah, he, Dan got right in front of me and I don't know, we've never really gone over if, uh, he knew I was, I was working him or whatever. I think he did. <laughs> um, I think he knows that, but that's why he likes his story. He, uh, throws himself under the bus but he so he got right there uh came right in between us and he ended up killing that bull um basically right in front of me but it's so thick you know i could hear all the all the commotion when he let his arrow fly Mm. and he killed that bull so i was like all right well um i never went up and talked to him i just i just kind of went out and and um went my own way and it and it was funny because ended up i ended up killing another uh nice six point bull later but, um, we ran into him. I know I'd lost an arrow on the trail. He found it on the trail. Oh, came nice. to my camp and brought it to me. And that's kind of where our, uh, little relationship started. That's, that's awesome. That was where I got to know Dan. Um, he's an intense individual. Uh, he's super fit. He's mm-hmm. disciplined and, uh, he's a good follow for sure. If you want to be ready throughout the, throughout the, year but um no we've become good friends after that yeah. and he comes out and does some of my western hunting summits he helps me with those and 
gives my uh, attendees a little splash of motivation or um, inspiration, I guess, when he mm-hmm. speaks. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. And so that's always cool. That's awesome. Yeah. He is, a, I could tell just, you know, from the hour or so that he and I talked and he said it himself too. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm an intense dude. And I'm like, I can see it, man. Like just from our yeah. conversation, but like, that's yeah. <laughs> like, that's what it takes sometimes, you know, it's those kind of, those sure. kind of attitudes. That's awesome. I'm actually, I want to talk about the summit a little bit because I'm, I've seen you guys post about it recently. I'm super interested in it. Um, mm-hmm. What is it? Like, how did it begin yeah. and what do you guys do? So we call it the Western Hunting Summit. We've been doing this for, I think this is year four now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's definitely had some changes. Um, you know, the, our envi- what we envisioned in the beginning is finally kind of taking shape. Uh, it's a four-day event, and folks come out and they hang with us for all four days. Now, when I first started this, I didn't have the ability to get on to some private land so what I was able to do was limited. So we really focused more on education. So we'd have um, speakers that, you know, I feel like have a lot to say. They have this, uh, this secret to them. You know, it's, I feel like they're the one percenters, the guys that are consistently successful mm-hmm. and really, really good at what they do. Um, folks that, that I think bring a lot of value to education. So I get those type people in there and we have everything from e-scouting to tips, tactics, shooting. Um, that was kind of the origin of it and how we started it. Since then it's, it's taken shape into what it is now, which is I've got access to, um, a large ranch, a 27,000 acre ranch this year. Last year we held it in the crazy mountains on a place that was amazing. Everybody loved it. And so now how it is, is, uh, we get guys out there, they camp with us for four days. We feed them every meal from Thursday morning through Sunday. Um, you know, and, and we get educators in there and like, for example, if we're doing, um, we have a, an elk summit, we have a mule deer summit, and then we have a family camp this year where, you know, parents can bring their kids and, oh, cool. and we'll have education for them and shooting for them and, 
little mock events that they can go do like the adults are doing. And, um, so this year, like the mule deer summit is going to be guys like Robbie Denning, who's really well known, um, as far as just having, having some secret where he's able to find and locate and, and take down giant old mature bucks. Yeah. Robbie's a great human. He's really good at his seminars and we get him out there. He spends the days with us and, um, he shoots with us and just answers any and all questions. And he talks about what he feels is most important to, to doing, uh, to finding muley bucks. And then, you know, um, this year we've got, uh, Brian Barney, who will always be at an event. I don't know if you know who Brian Barney is. Uh-huh. The guy is, uh, about as positive and motivating as they get. He'd be a great podcast for you. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's just a stud, man. He's always consistent. He walks the walk. He's, uh, he trains every day. He shoots every day and the guy, nothing stops him. Like he's just positive all the time. And that's a big factor as to why he's successful. Yeah. So I have him there and I have at every single event since we started, um, he's a good dude and multiple, you know, Brady Miller, another guy over there at go hunt. He's, mm-hmm. uh, he's another well-known wealth of knowledge in the mule deer space. And, um, and then a variety of other people for, for just yeah. the, the mule deer event. And then everyone has its thing, like the elk course. We're going to have presenters there that are very well-spoken, can educate on elk. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to cut the learning curve for those that want to learn uh, about this. It's, it's looked at as kind of a mentorship program. Sure. Um, these folks that do attend have our cell phone numbers. They they have one-on-one contact with us for the rest of whenever, you know, eternity. That's awesome. And, uh, so they found a lot of value in that. And so we, we take them on the mountain, we do some hikes, we get them to glassing points. We, we glass up animals. We kind of roll through scenarios as far as how, what we're looking for, where we're looking, um, how we would treat a stock in this situation. Mm. And being able to do that on the ranch is great because I'm not limited with permits. Uh, the state can't say that, uh, you know, you can only take so many people this day. And right. now with being on the private, I can overnight, you know, we can camp on the mountain with everybody. We can feed everybody on the mountain. We can, um, we can do these challenges, 3d challenges with our, with our bows. And I have, uh, you know, steel to shoot at for, for guys that want to work on their rifle skills. So there is both options as far as those mm-hmm. two concerned. I was, yeah, I was curious yeah. about that. Yep. Yeah. Last year we introduced the rifle, uh, event. It was specific to rifle mm-hmm. and we had a ton of fun with it. Um, I think I ended up with 25 guys coming out to that one. So it was nice and small group. And we had like Joel Turner was out there who yeah. a lot of folks know with shot IQ. Mm-hmm. The guy is incredible at, um, getting your mind right to shoot better. Uh, yeah. you know, shot IQ has been huge and he's trained a crow ton of people in not just archery, also with, all types of weapons, um, being kind of your SWAT leader over there in the coast of Washington. The guy's just a great educator. Yeah. So he's at all the events as well. And he will get you to be a better bow shot. He will get you to be a better rifle shot if uh, that's what you're looking for. So that's kind of what the event is. Like I said, we feed everybody for four days. We're all stuck together. We get to know each other really well. Um, there's a bit of education. There's a bit Mm of, uh, uh, challenge to it with some 3d shooting and just some fun. We bring in some, some music for, to kind of hold guys' attention oh, nice. after we eat at the end of the day. We do a lot of barbecue. 
Um, this year we've got some great uh, singers coming in that we haven't had in the past to um, kind of entertain us when the sun goes down. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun, and we hold it all right here in Montana. Um, How many of them do June. you do? Is there just one for each thing for the year, or do you do a couple yeah. of them throughout the year? Yeah, and there's we, like it, it, we have a lot of fun with this, so we carve out June just to hold these summits. So we have one on June 9th through the 12th. That's for elk. 16th through the 19th of June is is all mule deer family camp is the 23rd through the 26th right on um it's a fun time for my family uh, just selfishly my girls love being out at these events playing with the kids and um shooting their bows and doing the things that they like to do usually it's catching snakes and catching fish and things like that <laughs> um and and yeah we carve out that day for multiple reasons usually guys can take a little bit of work off and come out and hang with us for four days sure. in montana in june um, a lot of people treat it as a vacation. They kind of add something to the beginning of the, of the trip or the end of the trip. Yeah. Um, kids are out of school and also the educators that I bring in, um, not stealing their, uh, their hunting spring bear time. Yeah. <laughs> which happens April, May. And I'm also not stealing their July, August mule deer scouting season. So, right. It's kind of the perfect um, storm of seems, dates available. Yeah. <laughs> June seems to fit the bill and, and makes everybody happy. No, that so, makes but sense. But yeah, we only do one. We do three events, and it's uh, elk, mule deer, and then the family camp. That's awesome. Um, is it something where, like how, I guess, in terms of people that are showing up in quantity, is it something you're yeah. wanting to put a cap on to kind of keep yeah. a little bit more of the intimate style setting? Is that kind of the yeah, idea with so it? Yeah, so we cap it. Um, we've always capped it. It's around 40. So, okay. Um, more than know, I was thinking. You're Last year we sold out on everything and it was, it was great. And, um, the, the cool thing about it is I have enough presenters, every event I'll have six, seven, eight different presenters. And with a group of 40, um, we get to shoot together. We get to spend time on the mountain together and we can answer any and all questions and they yeah. can get that one-on-one -on -one time while we're, you know, doing the eight mile hike up to the cabin or, or back or whatever, sitting around the fire at the end of the day. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not a group. I feel like we lose track of who people are. Um, we get to know right. everybody um, in four days. So that's that's kind of the, the number we've settled on. Is it something where people are showing up like multiple years in a row to it? Or is yes. it like, a, okay, so it is, it's more Shockingly, of a coming back. It never, never expected. Like when my wife and I started these, we never thought people would end up treating this as um, something you'd come back to year after year. Sure. Uh, geez, this year already, I think we've got 18 people coming back wow. from last season. So we've got a lot of people who have done two, three, and even four camps now. Wow. Um, which blows us away that people are doing that and coming out. But I think that's why we've really leaned on changing the venue as far as where we're doing it. Yeah. Adding new presenters and just changing the event every year a little bit. Um, we can't just be stale and and do the same thing every time for guys that are coming back. Right. So. No, that's really cool. It sounds like an awesome event because I remember I'd seen you guys post about it several times and, you know, I, I was yeah. curious to ask about what it was. I wanted to ask you because um, you are someone that I've noticed you and you mentioned you said a hundred days. Is that like that you spend in the mountains? Is that like your yearly number? Because that is that's a lot. And I, I mean, that's it's a lot. That's more than what I see a lot of guys devoting to, to spending time up there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's at least a hundred days every year on just hunts. Um, there's, there's more days than that, just in the training in the mountains and things like that. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, when you start spreading the year out, it's, 
it's not just September through November anymore. Um, you know, there's, there's so many more opportunities. And as I, as I've gotten older, um, I want to look at these different places, uh, like going down South in, in January, for example, I love yeah. to spend 10 days down there chasing either coos whitetail or, or mule deer. Um, and then there's spring bear season, you know, spring bear season will gobble up 30 days because there's multiple States and, um, places that you can get multiple tags. So, um, yeah, at the end of the, at the end of the year, it's, it's a minimum of a hundred years or a hundred days on the mountain, um, in a tent. <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> and it's clearly something that has, has the approval of the family at this point, if you're still doing it this, this yes. long into it, which is probably yeah, the key. And, and, <laughs> and it's been a progression, no doubt about it. Um, <laughs> I haven't been able to do that for my entire life. You know, obviously I'm older, so I wouldn't be able to spend a hundred days and I'd be irresponsible if I tried to, if I was 20 years old or getting my life together, career, things like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm 48, um, done a lot of things and, uh, we've mm -hmm. finally gotten to a position in our forties where, yeah, uh, the family is, is solid. My wife is, um, incredible. If, um, you know, for those that don't know her, she's, She's a naturopathic physician here in Bozeman. She's held her own clinic in Washington State for years. And she's kind of the reason I'm as healthy as I am today. <laughs> but no, she holds down the fort. Um, there's really no problem that is too big for her. So I'm very lucky with, uh, with the person I'm with that she can handle anything. So I have the luxury of spending those days out right. there without worry. Um, now obviously, you know, it's never easy. There's always conflicts. There's always things that come up and sure. kind of work through them. Um, thankfully we have the ability to message like the inreach messages that we can, we can kick out. Mm -hmm. Most of the places we're hunting, you know, you don't have cell service, so you're, you're having to communicate somehow and the inreach helps just that. But yeah, it's, um, it's a struggle. So, you know, the rest of the year when I'm not hunting, I have a, a business from the house here. So I'm able to hit every basketball game with my girls and yep. all the all the practices and spend a lot of time at home. So I try to, you know, fill that cup when I'm not hunting and and um so it's but yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. definitely something you have to think about. And I uh, saw that uh looking back from this last year looking through posts and stuff, your your oldest daughter is like hunting age now and like is starting to do those with you. So that probably helps and is pretty rad in itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now we're able to take ten days off with her and go hunting yeah. too. So yeah, she's uh she's thirteen now and she got her first muley last year. Um, I saw that video, it's awesome. Know, at twelve. Yeah, she she did great. She crushed it. And then this year, again, uh, we'll, we have a new video coming out that'll highlight her, her 2021 trip that she got a great muley buck again. And my wife goes on those trips. Uh, she, she comes along when my daughter comes along, mm -hmm. which is great. And so she really gets to see what we're doing out there. And yeah, she's of age now to do that. Uh, we're already, you know, a lot of the hunts that I used to do are kind of, kind of get pushed to the side. Well, you know, Paley is now able to do hunts on her own with me. Um, but every year from here on out for hopefully forever, uh, mm -hmm. we'll be chasing muleys in November with her. And now we're, we're going to do a little, um, bear hunting that she's really wanting to get into a, a fall bear this year. So we've already got that on the books that we're going to go hit some, hit some spots and 
um, places that we've seen bears in the past. So yeah, it's kind of, uh, working a schedule around Paley and that's cool. Uh, I really hope to draw her an antelope tag so we can go do that. I think that's a great kid's hunt, but nope, she loves the outdoors. She's a great shot and we have a lot of fun out there with her. That's awesome. When I was, I was telling you, I was talking to, I had Zach over yesterday and talking to him and he said a little bit of the same thing. His oldest is only five. So he's got a handful of years, but he says, he's like, when they get old enough, He's like, I'm basically going to just turn into guide. He's like, I won't need to do much hunting myself when I've got both of them and his wife who hunts too. He's like, I'll just go up and watch and help. And he's like, I've done enough of it in my life at that point. I'll just be the guide for everybody from then on. And so it's kind of, it's kind of cool how that, like that transition morphs as kids get older and, and things like that. Yeah, no, it really does. It's, it's cool. I'm excited for all the years to come because there's, uh, there's a lot that she hasn't seen Mm. that we've been privy to. We've gotten to see these incredible places. So there's a long list of areas that I'd love to take Paley to, um, you know, whether successful or not, she, I just want her to see them. And, um, hopefully she takes to this lifestyle like, like we have, and Mm -hmm. I think she will just by the the track that she's on right now she seems to be really enjoying it so. are you getting the that vibe from your younger yeah it's hard to say with the younger yeah. you know and and you know we had these conversations when we first had kids you know i didn't had no idea if my girls were going to be hunting or if they'd want to hunt and i really didn't care i was never going to push it um it was never uh never my intent to just say well my girls are going to hunt like that was never right. that was never even a mention um if they wanted to great and so we'll see with the little one if she wants to. Uh, Paley asked me to do it, and she, and it was at that point that I was like, "Fantastic!" Right? You know, that's that's what we're going to do. Then um, I'll tailor it around her. And um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't want to push uh, my little into it if she doesn't like it. Sure. We go out and we chase porcupines and things like that, and she goes with us on those hunts. They're just around the house, but. Um, yeah, we'll see if she gets to that age of 10, 11, 12, 13, mm-hmm. and she has a desire to do it. And if she asks to go, we're taking her. Awesome. Of those, yeah. of those, all that time that you spend up, those 100 plus days or whatever it is, I've noticed that you do a lot solo. I mean, you do a lot mm-hmm. of solo stuff. Has that kind of always been the case? Do you just enjoy that a lot? Or is that why? It- yeah. 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 I, and honestly, I don't do as much now as I used to. Um, now it seems like I've got hunting partners that are they're studs they they never say quit and there's always a dang camera around so there's <laughs> always somebody there's always somebody around watching and filming um a lot of that is brian call uh, yeah he does a lot of the filming for us but so no i used to solo hunt a lot i had a really good hunt partner growing up he was my cousin more like brothers and um he spent a lot of time with me and then you know, we, we ran the family business for a long time, so we'd have to kind of do things on our, our own. Mm-hmm. While he was holding down the fort, I'd go hunting. And so I, I did a crud ton of solo hunting um, back in the day, and I still do it now. Uh, at least try to get in a couple a year where it's just me. Um, last year, I, I probably pushed 40 days on the mountain just by myself. Wow. And uh, I love it. And it's not for everyone. I don't think mm-hmm. I'm an introvert and I, I'm not real comfortable around people. I'm awkward, but, um, so being by myself in the mountains really doesn't, uh, doesn't affect my mind. I, I am yeah. right at I'm home. perfectly happy out there. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have this magnet pulling me out except for, you know, the fact that my kids and wife are at home Yeah, and so I can communicate fortunately. Um, but yeah, I, 
I don't have a, a fear of being out there at all. I can, I can go 10 days and not say a word and be completely good in my head. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, it's, it's a ton of fun. That's uh, cause that seems like something that, I mean, unless you're with, even if you're with somebody who's more experienced than you, I mean, like being out by yourself is something that a lot of people would probably have a hard time f- yeah. just even yeah. being okay with. And for, especially for long periods of time, like, you know, for reasons of I've got stuff back at home, like maybe they can't just let their mind be mm-hmm. okay. Or maybe it's just like, they don't feel like a prepared kind yeah. of thing. Cause when you're out there, I mean, you, you know, you've got things like, you know, in reach and those kind of things where communication is still possible, but still if you're out, I mean, yeah. it's going to be a while before anybody makes it to you if there's something that goes down. Yeah. And so there's like a level Absolutely. of competence that has to ha- like be there if you're comfortable doing that. Yeah. I think you have to work up to it. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, again, like for a guy in his twenties, starting his life career, maybe school and things like that. Um, I can, I can, I can see why that'd be really difficult. Like you're going to have issues with work and deadlines and things that are just important and they're in your head and they're not getting any less in your head when you're on the mountain by yourself. They are going to pick at you and they're going to pull you off the mountain. Um, and then I think, you know, it it gets more comfortable the more you do it. I, I don't see anybody who is in today's society saying, I'm going to just go spend 10 days on the mountain by myself. Right. They're going to, they're going to have a really hard time doing that. Really hard time. Um, two days on the mountain might be really difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I always recommend for guys that want to do this solo hunting thing, uh, go start with a day, an overnighter by yourself. Um, deal with the darkness. A lot of people have a fear of darkness by themselves and it's, it's just, something people deal with, I guess. And so deal with that for a night, build up, do a couple night, give it, do a three day or by yourself, um, slowly work into it, uh, work out those kinks. Um, I wouldn't recommend going in for seven to 10 days by yourself. If you've never done it, right. your, your mind is going to be racing. You are really going to be fighting the urge to to get the heck out of Dodge. Well, and that's going to be the times too. If like you're super distracted with stuff like that will probably be when stuff happens, you know, if you're oh, not yeah. focused on what's going on or where you are, you're going to be less willing to push harder, push deeper, get further away from the truck. Um, take the time to sit on an animal for multiple days and, um, let them, you know, kind of make a mistake. You're just going to be less, it's going to be, it's not going to happen as much. If you have this thing pulling at you mm-hmm. to get out of the back to the truck and get to a phone or within service and, you know, get back to the house or get back to work, get, get back to a girlfriend who, you know, said something to you right before you went on your trip. I mean, <laughs> right. those are the, those are the early days, right? right. You gotta get past those. Um, it's not, like I say, it's not for everyone. And, um, you know, oftentimes with most people, the, uh, the reason they're able to stay out there is because they have a, a hunting partner that pushes them to do so. Yeah. Keeps positive. Uh, if you have, if you have a buddy who is a little bit negative, easily down, um, pessimistic, if one plan fails, um, you're going to, it's not the best hunting buddy. You need, you need somebody else. You need somebody who's a no quit, um, real positive, when something happens, it's on to the next. It's it's move on quickly. Yeah. Let's go to plan B. And I'm excited to go to plan B and C and D. That's your hunting buddy. That's the one you want. Um, I mean, it's it's 
everybody deals with bad hunting buddies taking somebody out who maybe they get along with in the real world. Right. But then you get out <laughs> there different. and you realize what it takes to be on your game for multiple days in a row, um, you know, with somebody and it takes a special person. So yeah, a good solid hunting buddy, buddy can be really hard to find. And so you, you want to seek that out. I've, I've been blessed to have a couple of real good ones. Like I said, with my cousin mm-hmm. and now with Brian, Brian call, you know, him and I hunt well together. I'm quiet. I don't say much. He talks a ton. He's, uh, he keeps the conversation going even when I don't want to, it to be going. And so it's like, uh, it just works. Yeah. You know, it just works for us. And he's, he's a no quit guy. He will never bail on a hunt. He'll never say no to two mountain or a mountain too steep or mm-hmm. a, a basin too deep. He's not going to say no to any of that. And that's the kind of guy you want for sure. And if you can't find one and you already are that person, that probably makes it a lot easier to be out there by yourself too. <laughs> like you don't have Absolutely. to worry about, like I'm not going to have to worry about anybody else. I already am going to be somebody who can just yep. push and not worry about it. So that's yep. when you, you can, can be trust okay. in yourself yeah. and, uh, and not have to have that, that, uh, anchor, I guess. <laughs> the, the people being afraid of the dark thing. I mean, it really is that, but that's such an interesting thing that most people probably even aren't aware that they are until you're out in where it's like really dark. Cause especially yeah. in your, if you're in any mo- moderately sized town or city or anything like that, you've never actually seen dark. Cause there's always some form of light fog, even at nighttime, you know, that you've never seen yeah. what it's really like. And it's, it is different. It's like, uh, I can see how that would be something, but I'd never thought of that. Like people would, that would be one of the reasons why people have a hard time being by themselves. Oh yeah. I mean, you take the, the toughest of men who, you know, haven't spent nights alone in the dark on the mountain, um, in Grizz country in, mm-hmm. you know, predator country, uh, far enough to weigh away from, you know, a hospital or things like that, something and that being away from the darkness thrown in, it just gets them thinking like yeah. every noise. And I still see it today. There's, there's people that in the tent, they hear something outside and they, it's always going to be, it must be a grizzly bear, <laughs> right. you know, it's going to rip me out. And honestly, like darkness, darkness doesn't scare me at all. It's just the same as light. It's just dark. Right. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where these um, these boogeymen or these monsters come from, but oh, it's a real deal for sure. And I think um, it's like I said. I think it's there's a progression there. You have to get comfortable with it mm-hmm. in short spans before you can do it. Totally. You know, long durations. And but, then when you've done it no, long it, enough, it, you can build up to spending two weeks out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and be okay I mean, with most, it. Like you said there's lights everywhere. Uh, yeah. Most people are around a city these days and they just, as much as they think they could handle it, it's one of those things you have to, you have to go test it yeah. and see if you're able to do it before you, you're sure. Yeah. Cause I, I would say most are not comfortable with being out there at night um, for long periods of time by themselves. Yeah. I can see that. That's a really interesting way to think about it. Like I said, yeah, I never thought about that. One thing I also noticed, uh, and there's all these things that, you know, that are, you're either one or the other in a lot of hunting stuff. Right. And, uh, one of the things I've noticed, maybe it's on purpose, but you don't do a ton of camo. Like you're pretty flat colors and stuff on a lot of your stuff. Was that like, you just don't like it or is there no purpose to it or you don't see a purpose to it or like, what's your preference there? Yeah. I mean, camo's cool. I love supporting the, the companies that are building camo in our space. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
supporting hunters, but it's not necessary. Mm. Um, definitely not necessary. I think it's overplayed. I think it's, a. I think it's uh, there's a lot of marketing that, that gets people thinking they need to wear it. Um, but I, I used to wear it all the time. Yeah. Um, and then my wife got sick of it, Ross. Like she's like <laughs> so sick of camo. It's like camo jacket after camo jacket yeah. after camo jacket. So solids became, um, in part due to my wife, just getting tired of the same old camo stuff <laughs> right. going on. And, but honestly, you know, I've ran solids forever and it's not going to make a difference. I, we call bulls in, we spot and stock mule deer. Um, there's enough broken up. I mean, you can see like a sweatshirt right now. There's enough brokenness into this, uh, this solid gray pattern. Um, you know, animals aren't picking up the colors. It's just more of a a shape. Um, something like that. My mentor, when I, when I learned about elk hunting, um, I had this old timer from North Idaho. His name was Dallas Blood. He a great uh, name. He was yeah, right. <laughs> he, he he was uh, he didn't conform to fads and you know um, I guess anything that was out there like sprays that mask your scent or sure. camouflage even things like that. Um, the guy was just real. It's like. He'll go out there and he'll call in a bull in a blue sports jacket. Like, a, <laughs> doesn't matter. Like, whatever he's got today and would go out there. And he wouldn't be in camo every time. He'd wear some. But he'd wear the, you know, the camo from Walmart that just cost 20 bucks mm-hmm. and had faded to the point where it wasn't even camo anymore, you know, <laughs> yeah. just because it was closed. But he'll, yeah, we'd go out. And, you know, back in those days in my early 20s, I'd have – um, some type of form of camo on and he would be in a literally a blue jacket at times and we called bulls in and so it's like uh you know i i think i think it's overplayed i think you can get away with a lot it's um it's just uh you know how you hunt is a big part of it um obviously i think there's scenarios where maybe camo would be would make some sense um but most of the time we're spotting and stalking, we're calling in bulls mm-hmm. and we're hunting bears in, in non-camo type clothing. Do you think that's something that ha- is because of like experience? Because I know that like people who are picking up hunting, one of the things that's like just cost of everything up front, right? And so you're like, oh man, now I got to go get all this like camo stuff yeah. that's going to cost me several hundred dollars. Like, do you think that it, the experience is the reason why it's not as big of a deal for you or anymore? Or is like, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal in general. Yeah, it's... Um, everybody knows you're a hunter if you're in camo, which is cool, (laughs) I guess, but it's not necessary in my opinion. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've had mule deer look right past me. I've had elk look right past me and and there is not a shred of camo on. Um, I think just by the nature of all the things that we wear, the backpack is on, the bino harness is on, we're breaking up our shape a bit, Yeah, you know, and, and if you're doing it right, you're putting yourself in a position with something behind you on an elk call in or, you know, you're coming up and over something on a mule deer stock. So, uh, I don't, I don't feel like camo gives you much of an edge, sure. um, honestly at all. I like it again. I, I think, I think the, the companies that are building it, it's, it's cool. It's great. Mm-hmm. It distinguishes you as a hunter, I guess. <laughs> but as far as, uh, overall, is it going to 
is it going to keep you from killing a bull or a, or a deer if you're not in camo? Absolutely not. Yeah, that's a. No, I, I've I've heard both, you know, like because there, I mean, there is the people that are like swear by it, you know, sure. and it's just always interesting <laughs> to hear where, like, because I don't see many that don't wear it at all. So I was I was curious yeah. about that. That's really a, a good way. Yeah, to look I mean, at there's it. a few things in the hunting space that are. Uh, like scent killing type things, yeah. you know, you're never going to eliminate all your scent. Yeah. Uh, animals are going to pick you off every time, things like that. I mean, there's just certain things that I wouldn't waste my money on sure. uh, today, but you know, maybe it makes sense if you're a whitetail guy out East and you're trying to eliminate as much scent as possible to and from the, the stand in the morning, things mm-hmm. like that. I could see it. Sure. Uh, this Western hunting stuff though, uh, there's, it's just not even on the radar. So what do you think, uh, you know, maybe for, and this is probably a ton of stuff that you guys cover in the summit, but like, what are some of the things that would, for somebody who's newer to hunting, like where, where are some of the things that they can begin to cut some of those learning curves that, you know, maybe are misconceptions of things like camo, or maybe there's something else that would help, help people out. Yeah. You know, I think the best thing you can do, because unfortunately in today's world, yeah, there's a lot of kids getting brought up. Maybe it's, um, maybe they don't have a father in their life. They don't have an uncle, a grandfather, a mentor. And without a mentor, it's really easy to look right past this outdoor lifestyle that we have, um, and fall in love with it. You know, it's with a mentor who does it, they'll get you hooked on it. Mm -hmm. They'll, if they teach you in the right way, I, if you, if you know anybody, uh, if you can seek out anybody and with social media, it's pretty easy to do. I think seeking out someone who's done it, who can speak well to it, um, will actually take a little bit of time and, and, uh, mentor you, maybe take you on a trip or two. Um, you know, yeah, those people are, can be hard to find, but I feel like there's more of them today than we've ever had. Sure. So taking a, you know, for a seasoned hunter to take a new guy out, um, it's, it's a real possibility today and don't be afraid to ask folks to do it even on social. Um, cause there's plenty of people that will. So I think, I think that's my biggest recommendation. Um, there's a crud ton of information digitally online mm-hmm. podcasts, things like that for new hunters to kind of soak up good information. Um, I really like the, the in-person boots on the ground, that's why we do these, uh, Western hunting summits, yeah. you know, you're actually having conversations and you're, you're working through things in person, looking at things in person, talking about things. I feel like those are pretty valuable to cut the learning curve. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, because I was blessed with a, a father who hunted, mm. um, also with an un- uncles and grandfathers and, you know, they all did this outdoor thing. So very fortunate, but there's a lot of people that aren't. And, um, yeah, it's kind of on them if they're even remotely interested to try to seek out someone sure. to help them along. Cause it's intimidating. There's, there's so much, I mean, just knowing where you can hunt, when you can hunt, you got to go th- be able to read through regulations and each state is different. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much information that we take for granted if we've been doing it a long time. Uh, it's intimidating. I, I bet you go pick somebody up off the street who's never hunted before and give them a, a game rags and say, you know, try to figure this out. Right. Um, Foreign language probably. Go try to find a lawyer yeah. that can read through that <laughs> yeah, stuff. Seriously. It's confusing. Uh, so I think um, 
you know, I think reaching out to people who have done it is probably the quickest way and the best way right now to kind of break into it. That's awesome. That's, that's good advice too, because that was something that I've definitely, I didn't get into it until last handful of years. I mean, I, I mean, all my friends did my whole life and everything, but with sports and stuff, I just like, I was always doing something else, you know? And so it wasn't something until I got into it afterwards, after college Mm -hmm. and was married, actually, it was like, took it up. And so that was, that's definitely a huge help. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear the, um, the phrase adult onset hunter nowadays a Mm -hmm. lot, right? And I mean, there's a lot of people that are flocking to this, this thing that we're doing. I think COVID is bringing a lot of people over. Uh, I think, you know, talking about the food thing has brought a lot of people over. There's organizations out there that have done a great job at talking about the value of food, wild game, uh, clean eating. Uh, and, and, and like I said, I think there's a lot of people in the health space who have always talked about clean eating and the importance of organic grass fed beef. Well, you know, the best place to get that is not at whole foods. It's (laughs) go get it yourself, you know? So there's a lot of people that have kind of, um, seen this, like whether it's through social or they've heard somebody like Rogan talk about it, you know, who's, uh, who just dove into it and they found a respect for it. I think it's great. And if they want to look into it more, um, you know, I think the food aspect of it brings a lot of people over. Yeah, We have close friends that have just started hunting in their late thirties, forties, and they're just enamored with it. Like they couldn't believe they've gone their whole life missing it. Mm-hmm. seeing these things now going to these places that we get to see and they're just, they're all in. Um, but they're way behind the curve. So they got a lot totally. to learn. And those are the kind of people that we see at our events. Yeah. You know, the Western hunting summit, we see a lot of that. seems like, I mean, that's kind of the whole purpose of the event is like to cater exactly mm-hmm. to that person, you know, and, yeah. and help, yep. help, like you said, cut that learning curve down. It's uh, yep. sounds awesome. Well, Thank you, man. I had a blast mm-hmm. talking. I'm glad we were able to hook it up and and uh, and finally get to chat. Yeah, yeah. We kind of went round and round there for a while. Eh? <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot on good. the table. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, why don't you do uh, some some plugs? What do you guys uh, have? I mean, if there, if there, I don't know if there's still spots open for the summit. If that's something that people have time for, or anything else that you want to plug, go ahead. Yeah, if you're interested in the Western Hunting Summit, spending four days with us here in Montana, go check out uh, the westernhuntingsummit.com and and find all the info there. Uh, we haven't even talked about on our site all the speakers and presenters that are coming this year. Uh, we're getting ready to launch that, but um, most of the information is there. And then, yeah, if you want to look into my wife and I are into so many different things. We've got a supplement line, Stealthy Nutrition. If you want to check that out, go to stealthynutrition.com. And um, we've got a bunch of products there that we feel are important for us aging hunters that want to do this for eternity. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's about it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate the time, man. Thanks, Ross. Mm-hmm.